What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we have another very special episode for you today on this Thursday. I don't think Pat and I could have been any more excited about mm-hmm. it on Tuesday when we were trying to slyly preview the guy we have on today's episode. But we are so excited. We are joined by Tommy Godin, the co-founder of The Road to the Garden the co-host of the Road to the Garden podcast, one of the best hubs for Big East content that you can find out there. And of course, one of the biggest reasons why we're having him on today, one of the lead VU Hoops writers this season. He has been at an impressive number of games covering on the scenes. He's a must follow for Villanova content. Tommy, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is really mine. I'm Longtime listener of this show, and I'm happy to be here. We're so excited you're here. Yeah, I We're mean, pumped. Yeah. <laughs> to see the amount that your following has grown too with Villanova, talk a little bit about that because Pat and I are like same industry. It's a grind. We all know how it works, but to see you at the games, getting the content out, breaking the news about starters and injuries and the whole thing, it's been so cool to watch. Yeah. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Um, it's really been a whirlwind. It's been crazy. It's, all within these last two, three months. I mean, I went into this basketball season, Big East Media Day. I, I had like 300 followers, and I'm up over 1,200 now. And it just it it keeps growing. This is only the start where I want to be, but um, it's I've had so much fun doing it. Met so many good people, and and it, it's really been the best experience of my life. Oh, that that's so cool. And we're definitely going to talk a little bit about Road to the Garden. Interested, though, in, in kind of that transition over to VU Hoops coming over from Big East Coast Bias. You know, for you, what's it been like for you being boots on the ground there for VU Hoops? Emma talked about it where, you know, you've been at so many games. What's the commute looking like? What what What's the commitment and, and how has that been for you? Yeah, of course. Uh, I got a nine to five as well, just like uh, everyone else. And after that, I'll go straight to Villanova. It's about a 20 minute drive. Uh, from where I'm from so it's not too too bad Uh, I usually like to get to the games two hours before they start I like to see the warm-ups who's practicing who's not of course get that little Justin angle in there Um, (laughs) always good to see Justin Moore out there but yeah Um, after Big East Coast bias got shuttered it was really an easy transition um, to come to VU Hoops I've been a Villanova fan my whole life and this is where I wanted to be so it's it's been amazing that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll I'll keep going then for it. I, I mean, but before or not even before, but going with with VU Hoops Road to the Garden. You know, you're you're a co-founder there. How did it start? Like, what's the story behind it? Let the people know what Road to the Garden is all about because I think it's really exciting. Yeah, Road to the Garden um, is formerly known as Big East Coast Bias. Um, once that got shuttered, Chris and Rob, not the same Chris and Rob from the full 40, <laughs> same names. I thought that they were the same people for like the first two months I worked there to be completely <laughs> honest. Um, no, but uh, they told us that it was going to be shuttered um, and they kind of took their hands off, but they gave me the opportunity to get started and I'll f- be forever grateful for that. Um but they kind of took their hands off once it got shuttered. Um, Matt St. Jean and I, we kind of hijacked the Twitter account. <laughs> so <laughs> all of Big East Coast biases, um, followers were already following Road to the Garden. And um, we're trying to get more content out there now. It's the same type of content. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's just 
a rebrand, I guess is the best way I can put it. Cool. So tell us what a normal night of prepping and watching games looks like to you. So behind the scenes, we're recording this Wednesday night. Tommy has another podcast to record after this one. So luckily he fit us into his busy schedule, but how do you cover a conference as big as the big East, as well as you do just with so many moving parts involved? Yeah. Um, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> to make a long story short. Um, so I'll get home from work. Um, then immediately uh, hop on, start doing research. I always have the the score app or the ESPN app, give me notifications, breaking news, final scores, and tells you the performers there. So we always get um, that kind of easy recap, but I get home from work and I just break open the laptop. I, I'm not big into rewatching games. I like looking at the numbers, Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, all great websites. Um, and then I have like a hundred pages of just every day, just typing notes um, about the events. Cause when I write things out, it's easier for me to remember. So mm-hmm. um, every day, just recapping the scores and refreshing my Twitter page to see if I missed anything. Thank God Twitter's still around, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Kind of need that going. The the alerts are, are really helpful too. Um, I know you it's kind of going to the balance portion. Of course, you're a writer for VU Hoops. You you put out some awesome articles already this season, of course, involved with the audio with the road um to the garden podcast with Matt. You know, how how do you balance it all? Kind of going between prepping for articles and then also trying to find ways, of course, to to create content on the audio side. Um that's a bit of that. I mean, that's harder. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Balancing it's tough. It's because you got to be there. For example, VU hoops after the final buzzer, um, we got to get an article in like that. It, we got a quick recap that goes up before the press conference, um, finding time to write notes and study um, film and stats and all that is one thing, but actually writing and doing it, it's completely different. So um, you, you got to plan weeks and weeks in advance um, what you're going to do, where the games are going to be. But um, behind the scenes, it's really you got to take it day by day and and whatever time you have, you got to put towards it because it's it's a lot. Yeah. It, it certainly is. I have written those game recaps uh, in the past for, for VU Hoops too, and it is most certainly a time crunch because, of course, you want to get it up, but it always feels good when those stories go up and then, of course, being add more. And as we've said, you've done a, an awesome job getting those up as quickly as you can and as thoroughly too. We've really enjoyed reading. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, and it's obviously paying off. I mean, your grind too. You can see it in the Twitter numbers, but I'm sure also your confidence has grown exponentially as you're getting more of that following and being able to I mean it's crazy now too like following Matt and Ryan Cassidy and all these guys that I didn't even realize were all working for the same group I kind of all put that together just this year so it's cool to see so many of these awesome people all doing it for the same goal yeah Ryan's great he'll be on my podcast um the one right after this one so um Ryan's fantastic Matt of course um he he's a superhero. I, if you guys think I do a lot of prepping and balancing. Matt is, I, I don't know how Matt does it. And he does like the Patriot stuff too, but yeah, I mean, the confidence definitely has grown. When I met you at big East media day, I was shaking like a leaf right in front of <laughs> Kyle Neptune and, and company and all the players and coaches asking my questions. And even behind a microphone, I used to be shaky. And um, 
it, with anything in life, it just takes practice and Villanova, the fan base and especially everyone on Twitter, it's like a big family. There's 99% of the people on Villanova Twitter. I enjoy uh, look like reading their tweets, interacting with them and, um, they know who they are, everyone in here. I could list out names for hours, but um, the Villanova Twitter world, the Nova Nation is just truly a special fan base. It's awesome. a really cool sphere um, to be in because we, we definitely share the the same sentiment there. One of my, or one of the coolest parts, I think, of, of what you've been doing with your work at Villanova's is having some time to, you know, sit in on on practices and being able to report from those practices on the main line. What are some things that you look for when you're when you're there at practice? Because obviously reporting on a practice is much different than, you know, what you would do for a game outlook. Yeah. So if you think Villanova's Fort Knox with like the information that they give out, practice is even more lock and key. They don't even even let us in the gym until it's just the free throw portion of practice. And I mean, they very rarely miss free throws in practice, but (laughs) (laughs) that's. Just about that. I mean, you'll see a couple of guys working on the side, working on some some things like Justin, uh, Justin Moore, of course. He'll be uh, rehabbing his his Achilles or uh, Jordan Longino will be stretching his knee out. So kind of things like that. But um, it's such a cool experience to go like pull back the curtain and look behind the scenes, like where everything's where the grind is paying off. It's it's cool to be back there, honestly. Yeah, that, that's some awesome access um, just to be able to see and be able to talk to the guys right after it too because it's just, it's a different environment. You know, there, there's a little less emotion that goes into it from these guys coming straight from the locker room after playing in a lot of these big games. So uh, I'm sure it kind of alters a little bit of how that conversation goes as well, though we know Villanova can give uh, very centric uh, answers mm-hmm. no matter what the question is. That's for sure. <laughs> so speaking of pulling the curtain back, looking behind the scenes, is there anything off the top of your head as we transition into the the basketball part of this the conversation now that people who haven't been to games or haven't seen behind the scenes what can you tell us about this team seeing them in practice seeing them a little bit more uh themselves and exposed than just the the polished post-game presser yeah I mean what you see is what you get with this team if you haven't been to games or or practices or anything Kyle Neptune is a eerily similar to Jay Wright, just way younger. Um, Maybe not way. Don't come at me, Jay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the way that they go about things, um, I did a, I covered them a little bit last year, but um, everything stays the same. The mentality, the mindset, the answers that the players give you whenever you ask some questions, playing a full 40 minutes for the brothers, for everyone who came before me, it's the same answers. It's the, the goal remains the same um with this team but I think that the team that they have this year is a really special group they have a lot of young talent they have a lot of veteran leadership and they have a coach uh, that's putting it all together so I I'm really really excited for this team and a lot higher on them than um, a lot of people out there we could say the same yeah (laughs) (laughs) you you know you mentioned the young talent so you just gave me the easiest transition of of all time here we we know cam cam whitmore just came back three games ago villanova of course three and oh uh in those games and leading into a game uh, against saint joe's here this weekend we know you know everything that cam brings in terms of athleticism being able to get to the bucket maybe be able to change some defensive versatility for the system here what do you think has changed the most 
with Cam Whitmore being introduced into the fold here for this Villanova team for what we saw a little earlier in the season to what we've seen over the past couple of games. Honestly, I, I think it's the defense. I mean, you can say what you want about um, Cam offensively, but Villanova's full, Villanova's chock full of bucket getters. And Caleb Daniels, um, Jordan Longino, even though he's not fully healthy right now, a bucket getter, um, Mark, Cam, everyone, everyone can get theirs on offense, but I mean, you look at the PK 85 and teams putting up high seventies, low eighties every week or every game. I'm sorry. Um, a team's put up more than 60 points once in the last three games against this Villanova team. I think him being out there able to cover as many positions um, as he can one through, I mean, basically five, he's athletic enough to cover the five, although not big enough, even though he does kind of look like a linebacker, just contradicting himself all over the place. But um, I, I think the defense and I, just the morale of the team, they rally around him, him being back, and and it opens up a lot for everybody. But to answer your question, definitely the defense. Yeah. That, that's along similar lines to where Emma and I were, were going at too when we looked at this. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me anymore, but we quoted it that I believe Villanova on average is allowing somewhere between like 17 or 18 points a game less since Whitmore um, when, and that's from the, like the four game losing streak um, over this past three game winning streak here. And of course, what changed there, Cam Whitmore has been inserted into that, uh, into that lineup. So I, I think he changes a lot, especially we talked about scheme wise. We've seen a little less zone. I think Nova's been able to match up better man-to-man. The switching has been a little easier when you're able to add that athleticism, that quickness, and that strength that we know Cam does. So I I know, especially as we move into conference play, I'm going to be watching how that defense continues to evolve because the Ken Palm numbers are still ugly with them being 122nd in defensive efficiency, though it's at least trending upward. It's much prettier than it was. Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start, and the way you put it, Pat, is perfect because – as excited as everybody is about Cam, I do feel like there has been a bit of a an exaggeration over how much he changes this team. Like, oh, five and five, this team would have been eight and two if Cam was there the entire time. Okay, somebody asked me on Twitter, Kempom, we mentioned on Tuesday, Pat, that Kempom has Villanova 10 and 10 in conference play. Oh, if Cam comes on, do you add two, three, four more wins to that total. I don't know if we're there yet. Yes, he adds such a different look defensively. Everybody else is very good on the offensive end, but you can tell that Cam is, I think, leaps and bounds better offensively than anybody else on the team in terms of just pure talent in getting to the hoop. But I'm curious to see how the narrative around Cam evolves as we get into conference play and as we get into tougher opponents because it seems like now it's full throttle if we had him this team would be ranked in the top 25 and would have much higher expectations and I'm not fully there yet I'm excited to see how it it continues to evolve and and I just want to see him play more minutes I mean still the most we've seen him play is 26 minutes a game so of course it's early it's three games he's coming off the injury I think they're only working that up to get him ready for this conference play. But how does that continue to change as we go into the meat of the schedule? And how does that look on offense? 
as he becomes more and more involved in it. I mean, already we're referencing Ken Palm, so let's continue to reference Ken Palm. Since he's come in, he's taking 33% of the shots for Villanova, which is the highest on the team right now with Eric Dixon second at 29. So he's already becoming pretty ball dominant, and I think a lot of Nova Nation is rather comfortable with that after we've seen the impact that he can make so quickly. Yeah, totally. So, Tommy, I'll put you on the spot again with this question here. You were able to go to a lot of these non-conference games, the home ones, at least, like we mentioned before. Um, My answer probably goes back towards some of the either road or neutral site non-conference game. But what do you think was the most meaningful game that Nova played in this non-conference schedule? And you can take that basically any way you want, but most meaningful in terms of what we're going to look for in the future as Big East play starts soon. Wow, that is a good question. The most meaningful, hmm, off the top of my head, I think I'd have to go with, believe it or not, the loss to Oregon um, and the PK-85. After that, that's kind of where we saw the last of Angelo Brizzy. I mean, he didn't play in that Oklahoma game. He didn't play uh, in the Penn game after that, and he got garbage time um, in this last game against Boston College. And to your guys' point, um, Cam coming back is is one thing, and obviously it's a good thing, but this is Kyle Neptune kind of figuring things out. He's a first-year head coach at Villanova, second-year head coach ever, um, so he needs time to figure things out. It was never going to be perfect um, from day one, and their recent success, I mean, Oklahoma on Ken Palm is the best team that they've played all year after – a loss to Oregon that they shouldn't have lost. They only had like six scholarship players or something like that. They shouldn't have lost that game. They shouldn't have lost Portland. I think that game in Portland against Oregon um, was a real turning point. I mean, Kyle Neptune always references you learn more in a loss than you do in a win. I think he learned a lot from the whole PK, but the last game against Oregon specifically, I think was a real turning point for this team. Yeah, I like that answer because I was totally thinking it – I was going to say Michigan State because they showed so much fight at the end. And they showed that they're a fast start away from competing with, at the time, or maybe still, definitely on a little bit of a, a lower trend than they were earlier in the season. But Michigan State can compete. And Nova was a fast start away from being able to do that. And you took it in a completely other direction, which maybe that was the last time we saw that scheme. Because something had to change after dropping two straight games to Portland and Oregon. I, I I like that a lot. I would also agree that that it's Oregon there and to go further into the lineup as well. That is after that game is when Mark Armstrong and Jordan Longino flip-flopped in the starting lineup, which as we know, I am Mark Armstrong fan number one over here. So really excited about that though. I think a lot of that does have to do with, you know, Longino's injury problems as well. Um, and additionally too, the end of the PK Invitational was also kind of We've seen a turning point in a little bit of the offensive attack where we spent how much time discussing the crazy amount of three-pointers they took in that three-game stretch. And while it's definitely started to come back down to earth a little more and things have been a little more balanced on the offensive side, though this team most certainly will still put up their three. So I would also go with the Oregon game because more so than a lineup, more so than, than a kind of a change in offensive game plan and then finally getting Cam back. I think this was a real slap in the face for a lot of these guys to to go out West, to finish 0-3, to come back. I mean, as much as they can say they don't see any of the press, we know they see parts of it. They, they knew what was being said about them. And to then be able to rebound and a week later step up and beat a pretty good Oklahoma team, 
I'm going to go with Oregon as well. Yeah, I guess walk-ons on that Oregon team too. Don't to we don't we don't blunt. have we don't have to, to put it very re, rebring those wounds up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was a tough look. So, <clears throat> Pat, you mentioned adjustments in general. I'm excited to talk about this with both of you because it seems like the adjustments that Kyle Neptune makes and then this team in general is something Pat and I talk about every single episode. It's the tempo. It's the type of defensive pressure they're bringing. It's whether they're relying on the three point shot or they're driving. Tommy, what's been your outlook on the different things we've seen? Do you, do you predict that we'll continue to see a trend downwards in terms of outside shooting? Do you like that the team brings that full court pressure? Do you think that this team can start running a faster tempo? You can take that anywhere you'd like. (laughs) I think this team is going to take whatever the defense gives them. Mm. Um, I mean, Kyle Neptune said that we're not going to take threes just to take threes. Um, But if the three's there, we're going to take it. Um, I, I do like, I mean, they shot roughly a million threes in the PK 85. Roughly, roughly, roughly. Roughly. Yeah. Just about. Yeah, I'd take the over on a million, but um, yeah, I, I like I said before, Kyle Neptune, he's figuring it out. Um, they're taking it one game at a time, and I don't know how the trends are going to play out because everything is so new. We haven't seen. I mean, after the pre- after the game at BC in the press conference, there were two freshmen with the head coach, the post game press conference, Mark and Cam. I don't know when the last time that has happened is, but. Everything's so different this year. I don't, I think the team needs to find an identity before I can put any labels on if it's going to continue or not. No. So follow up to that question before you go, Pat. Identity is also something we've talked about a lot. The only thing that I'm have a little bit of trepidation about is how long is it going to take once Big East play starts for that to solidify? Because there've definitely been strides We've seen, especially with Cam coming back, we've seen the offense take a huge leap. We've seen those defensive numbers creep up a little bit in terms of three-point shooting, but there are still glaring weaknesses on this team. And I wonder how the team is going to combat them when they get, like we mentioned, thrown into the fire against St. John's Marquette and UConn in the first three games in conference. Yeah, thrown into the fire is, is a great way to put it. I, I think we're going to figure out the identity of this team sooner rather than later. I mean, you want to talk about contrasting styles. We play St. John's yeah, next Wednesday, and we are as slow as can be, and they are go, go, go. I mean, Posh and um, Andre Curbelo in the backcourt, are they are running gun, defensive heavy team. Um, we don't have time to sit back and figure out who we are. It's going to come up um to the waterline and and i think it's going to be better in the long run um for this team yeah i love that i agree i don't think they have time to think out there especially against st john's you definitely don't have time to think with their tempo i want to say they're like top three in the country uh, in terms of tempo so they're going to run and soriano's been great for them um inside as well but speaking of guys that can run a little bit um, you mentioned this on the Road to the Garden podcast this weekend. Your quote was that Mark Armstrong is not Cam Whitmore's Robin. I love that. I know what you're getting at with it, but you want to expand on that for for everyone listening? Of course. Um, it was Darius Slay. I mean, to bring football in it for a minute. <laughs> Darius I didn't even Slay. put that together. That's good. That's yep, good. yep. AJ Brown, he's swole Batman. Devontae Smith, skinny Batman. Quez, fast Batman. So... 
if Cam is we you we can name Cam at a later date, but if he's Batman, Mark isn't his Robin. Mark's starting for a reason. He was on the same FIBA U eighteen team as um as Cam Whitmore was. If Cam didn't commit to Villanova, this would be the Mark Armstrong show. He is a highly touted prospect. He's explosive. He can shoot. He's one of the smartest guards I've ever seen, like in person or talk to. His IQ, the way he moves without the ball, is not at a freshman in college level. Um, Mark Armstrong is a stud. I know Pat loves to hear that. Yes, I um, do. Got a Mark That's Armstrong jersey. Grinning ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get my number two jersey. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I'm with, and more so than that, too. It's the defensive intensity that, that he brings out there that I think Kyle can trust him to play those extended minutes. We're, we're seeing it kind of more and more as those minutes are, are starting to uptick for him. Uh, we know on offense, he he does have the ability to push the ball. He did it, you know, against BC, what he had the block on one end and basically took off to the other uh, other end of the court, did a step back, missed the, uh, missed the jumper, but it just kind of shows some of the explosiveness with it. I think he's so far along in a lot of the parts of his game that freshmen can struggle with, especially as you go to that IQ there, that I only expect him to be continue to grow and truly be a foundational piece of this Villanova team moving forward. But I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to talk about Mark and I will get off my soapbox now as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we appreciate that. And that's such a good way to put it because we certainly, when he was coming off the bench, didn't get the full potential of Mark Armstrong that we're currently seeing. And the first seven points of the game that we saw against BC. And that goes back to what we were talking about, about St. John's perfectly. We know we have watched for years, Daniels and Slater. And then in the past year Dixon take over games when they need to and they do it differently than Armstrong or Whitmore would now so I love that Kyle Neptune's still tinkering with things I said it last week but I know for sure there is no way Cam Whitmore doesn't start against St. Joe's no way I just be careful be careful I can't wrap my head around the idea if he didn't especially because we predict that that minutes restriction isn't going to exist anymore but if you want to take a risk and see how this young developing team still with the core players but this young talented team can go up against three of the best teams in the conference then you might as well put Armstrong and Whitmore in the backcourt and see what they can do think he still starts from the bench on saturday I really do. don't i know i know but i i think they're just going to stick with what's been working um since they're on that three game winning streak but if he made a change and cam went more than that starting lineup i can't think you're gonna see anyone argue with that um <laughs> no. but that, that's just the thought yeah you know i i have a question on the big five here tommy that I, i'm interested in what you think about you know uh we we've talked about it from time to time it's pretty clear, you know, looking at it there, there can be some struggles with what the big five has kind of turned into lately. So the, the question really comes up of what to do with it. We look a little further into it. You know, the top ranked team outside of Villanova right now is Temple at 113 in Ken Palm. They bottom out with St. Joe's at, at 233. You know, we've looked at some of the games thus far this season. You've had empty seats at the Palestra. The Athletic did a, an article on this recently that there are scheduling issues with the schools but having all of the reps or each having a rep from each school meet to kind of talk about the future of the big five. I'm interested if you had to make a change here, what would you do to kind of bring some life back to it? Because it it feels like it it definitely is struggling a little bit. Well, we still want to always respect the history that the big five is. And it most certainly deserves that. 
it has lost some juice recently. Man, I know you're a Mets fan, but you're trying to get me my Philly card taken. Away. Talking about <laughs> the big five, got got to do it. Got to do it. Good grief. No, but um, yeah, I mean, it's. I'm glad that you brought that up. It's no surprise. I mean, I you saw all the pictures. Um, the fans are lack thereof in the stands. I think if you were to make any changes to the Big Five, I think you should make it an official in-season tournament yep. every year. Let there be a trophy. I mean, the trophy right now is bragging rights for when all these alumni go down the shore to the bars in Sea Isle <laughs> in the summer. I, I love mean, Sea Isle. Sea Isle is fantastic. Yeah, it is. That's a story for a different podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think making it an official in-season tournament with an official record, a trophy, um, I... I we can't wait for these other four teams to to get good. I mean, it's been too long. I mean, you got Villanova fans chanting, who's your daddy at the Penn players yeah. the last game. It, it's it, Villanova's carried the big five for a good portion of the last decade and even further. And I, we can't wait anymore. I, I think it, it needs something needs to change. And I like the I like the prospect of an in-season tournament. I really like the prospect of an in-season tournament. That's exactly where I'd go with it too. At at a point, it feels too easy and too obvious, but I just I feel like it would work. You you do it over one weekend. You have you know say last year's winner gets a buy, and then two versus five, and three versus four, and and we're off. You know it, it, you can do it that way. There are some other you can do a round robin and, and really extend it out a little bit. I, I would like to see it condensed into a tournament. You know, maybe it's it's a week long thing. Maybe it's a weekend long thing to to make it more of a celebration because I just I don't think the current iteration of how it is in place is working to the fullest of being able to celebrate the Big Five and everything that it should be. So add some stakes to it, make it a tournament, like you said, add a trophy. I think that's awesome, and let's go from there. Yeah, I also think now is a good time because Jay Wright has transitioned out, so it's hard. And this isn't taking anything away or like not believing them or anything, but it's hard to hear Kyle Neptune and all of these young players talk about how much the big five means to them when fans aren't really showing up. Villanova usually blows out the majority of the opponents. There's a ton of respect in in Philadelphia, and I think that they should make it a priority to bring that back. But having these games also um, like – arranged throughout the non-conference schedule without really any sort of rhythm or cadence, it makes it hard to keep thinking of the big five as a priority. So I also, I know that the tournament has been thrown around for a while too. So Mm -hmm. like you said, it feels obvious and it feels like it should be forthcoming. So I guess we can hope on that. Yeah. Yeah. Make all the games at one site, like the Palestra. Yeah, exactly. Make it at the Palestra. Yeah. That'd be great. Bring no, the history so back. Let, let's hope for it because it deserves, you know, a, a special type of event to go with it. Um, yeah. So I'm all for that. Um, we'll, we'll start to move toward, towards wrapping up because we don't want to take too much of your time on it. So I've got a couple questions left here. Um, this is more of an overall big picture one for Villanova here. You know, Matt Norlander stated going into the Oklahoma game that a loss to Oklahoma would basically be the nail in the coffin for Villanova to miss the NCAA tournament. Joe Lenardi just put out his latest bracketology and has Villanova out of the tournament. What are your expectations right now for, for Villanova? Because it seems like a nationally though, I think it's starting to turn a little bit, especially with Cam Whitmore down. seems like people have certainly turned their attention away from Nova and especially starting to project them out of March madness. I love that. I um, do too. 
<laughs> I love the underdogs. It takes the target off the back that's been there for a decade and a half. Um, this is a tournament team. I, I truly think that they're finding their stride. I think that they're turning it around and it's coinciding with Cam Whitmore's return, but it's not just Cam Whitmore. It's the coach. It's the depth. Uh, it's the defense. It's all of those things um, put together. Um, the, this is a tournament team and this is going to be a tournament team. I mean, they get an eight or a nine seed. Could you imagine being an opposing eight or nine seed with Justin Moore coming in with fresh legs, Cam Whitmore ready. Any game could be his last because he will not be back next year. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, you you look at North Carolina last year, they were an eight seed. They made it to the national championship game. Villanova's comfortable with winning, not comfortable, but they're used to winning national championships as an eight seed. They're the only one to ever do it. So I, I would love if we got into the tournament as a higher seed and really wreak some havoc in March. It's funny too, because Villanova has had a target on its back for the last decade and a half, like you just said, but none of the players that have ever come through the system have had the attitude to really own that. So I think they actually prefer to be the hunted and an adjective that you didn't use to, to characterize the team is also gritty. I mean, there are a lot of gritty players on that roster that would love to be in the position where they have to crawl themselves out and prove it themselves. Expectation. I don't know if you've heard Pat and I discussing Pat, uh, Pat Moore, Justin Moore throughout the season. Um, Pat has scared me to the point of trying not to think about what this team could look like with him back, just because the depth of his injury is so unpredictable. We don't know what type of version we would get from him if he does come back. What have you heard? What do you see? What have you, what have you seen from him when you do see him? Uh, anything on Justin Moore there? Uh, a healthy Justin Moore is the best player in the conference, hands Amen. down. We could get 50% of what he was before he went down with his injury, even off the bench. I mean, that is amazing depth. Um, but he looks great. He's always out. There. When I get there, I get there two hours before the game. He's usually running twos with like Kevin Voigt and Colin O'Toole, and, and, and he's playing two on two. He looks good. He's not wearing any restrictive brace on his leg he's playing defense he's bodying people um he's shooting confidently from beyond the arc um justin looks good i do think he will be back um and i think that at least in the beginning he's going to be given the obviously cam whitmore uh minutes restriction but like i said if we can get 50 percent of last year's justin moore that is a huge piece off the bench and as you know depth is the most one of the most important things you can have going into March. I look forward to the day Justin Moore gets back out on the floor for, for Villanova. I, I can't wait to see him out there again with everything that he brings from, you know, defensive stalwarts, a three point ability to being able to attack the basket and being such a skilled finisher. I, I can, as much as I rave about Mark Armstrong now, I can go 10 <laughs> times more on, on Justin Moore and what we've seen from him. Um, but, you know, we're very close to conference play, of course, with which as this episode drops, we're going to be less than a week away from playing St. John's at the Finneran Pavilion. Question for you is where we are now, how has your perception of the conference changed from preseason to today on December 14th? Another good question. Wow. My thing. Um, I did not expect UConn to do what they're doing. Dan Hurley, number one in Ken Palm? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a testament to Dan Hurley as a coach. Um, as much as, you know, we like him is here or there, but 
I mean, to be unranked in the beginning of the year to the number one team in Ken Palm, a lot of people had them the number one team in the country. They've got a lot of votes for that. So I was not expecting UConn to do what they're doing. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, St. John's is another team that surprised me a little bit. Uh, uh, Pasha Alexander and Andre Curbelo looking absolutely outstanding. Joel Soriano outperforming um, what he was supposed to. Uh, of course, you have Xavier, who I'm most scared of, if we're being completely mm-hmm. honest right now. Uh, Colby Jones, Sule Boom is the best transfer of the conference, and this is Baylor Shireman slander. Yep. Um, <laughs> Creighton slander. Yeah, Creighton slander. It's personal. I've never, I've been to like three Nova Creighton games. I've lost all three. So, cool. it's tough. Oh, brutal. It, yeah, it's personal. <laughs> no, but um, Jack Nunji. Uh, Zach Fremantle, they're big. They're Sean Miller's a great coach. We just found out today mm-hmm. that he's not going to be suspended. Most importantly uh, for Xavier, Sean Miller's not going to be suspended. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I think the conference is very good. Marquette, I mean, there's so many surprise teams. Every it's a little year. top heavy. I mean, there's Georgetown. I mean, we yeah, eh. bring the top down a little bit, but just a bit. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of surprise teams. I, I think this could be a truly a a five or six bid league yeah I I love hearing that and I think the surprising thing to me of course is UConn but it's also that players other than Adama Sonogo have been pulling the weight and at Creighton it's players other than Kalkbrenner who are pulling the weight and at Marquette it's somebody not named Justin Lewis because he left and they're still doing well so so many guys have filled in either four players who graduated or transferred or players who just stepped up and are now playing in a really, really prominent role for these teams. I, I feel like I've said it for the last three years that this conference has the potential to have five bids. And I think you're right, Tommy, that this could actually be that year. You see teams flop like it, the Providence last year doesn't exist, but maybe Marquette just jumps into that top tier along with St. John's. And then it's the the remaining, whatever it's left three, four teams, but that's pretty good. That's, top heavy but when it's six teams at the top that feels pretty good I I think it is five bids and I think the question is can there be a sixth one I mean you went through a lot of we questioned UConn for all the change that was going to happen with them how would they turn out things have clearly turned out well uh we questioned Marquette you know losing Justin Lewis and they have been a monster do you know like a a little bit of credit to Thad Mata for what he's done in Butler I I know they don't have some great quality wins though Kansas State and BYU especially BYU after beating Creighton doesn't look bad uh win wise as well so to your point, I think we have seen some already like expectations have shifted for some of these teams and what it is. I mean, you're with road to the garden. Once we get to the garden in March, that tournament is going to be incredible yet again, because the Big East never fails to deliver. Yeah, it's always incredible. And we, I'm glad that you brought up Fed Mata. We didn't even talk about um, Butler. I mean, Butler's an out, Manny Bates just hates opposing player shots. He is a beast <laughs> around the rim. He throws a block party every game. Um, that Butler's incredible. Providence, they beat up on bad teams, but don't look good at all against good teams. Like that loss to TCU was never competitive. And the most puzzling thing on their team, Jared Bynum, a preseason first team, all Big East player, has arguably been their worst player. Mm. He's been terrible. Um, it, it, it's really a weird year in the Big East. And I guess you can come to expect that when when the master in chief heads out in Jay Wright. <laughs> oh, wow. 
No. Mic drop right there. <laughs> it, exactly. I say, Emma, I have one final question unless you have one. Yeah, no, go ahead. Take it away. Okay. Well, this is obviously the most hard hitting um, question of the bunch. Um, one of the things you've been doing this year have been your food tests um, for, for the different games and arenas you've been at. Give us your favorite meal so far and give us your least favorite meal so far. Well, my least favorite meal was that catered Italian dinner. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Those meatballs were like golf balls. They were so dry. It was brutal. Was that the Prudential Center? It was. Oh, it was. okay. Okay. And and that was an amazing event. The Bill Handysack who put that together, amazing dude. Um, everything was was top tier except for the food. I mean, the noodles were cooked like five minutes way too long. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Because everyone always gets on me. Like, I don't trust Tommy's food reviews, whatever. Like, I gave a burger a 7 out of 10. It's not a 7 out of 10 burger. It's a 7 out of 10 burger at a stadium. You got to put the context into it, of course. It's very important. Context. You got to have context. But to answer your question, the the, the tacos were probably my favorite. Mm. The the cart, It was hot. It was fresh. It was the only problem I have with it. It's It's impractical to eat at a basketball yeah it's a tough tough reporting food yeah yeah that and that was at the pavilion yeah Yeah, nice nice we we love plugging the the pavilion like that so oh (laughs) sweet all right that's good to know then i i'm hoping to be at the saint john's game uh might have to try to give that one a go eugene said there's sushi so i've been on the lookout looking for sushi at the fin oh gotta try that yeah i gotta bring more options than you would think i'm surprised by both so far yeah the fin's been amazing yeah i love it yeah so cool all right, well, I mean, Tommy, we knew this this episode was going to be really, really fun, and we've been looking forward to having you on for a while, but um, you exceeded our expectations. Thank you so much for the time and the insight, and I'm glad that you share our opinion that I think there's a lot more in the tank for this team, and we're excited for what Big East Conference play holds. Absolutely, and Tommy, let, let everyone know where they can find you on, on Twitter and, and podcast-wise, and we know where we can find you on VU Hoops, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, guys. This has been amazing. I really am a big fan of this show, and anytime, it's it's really my pleasure. But yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter, at Tommy Godin Jr. Instagram is at Tommy Godin, and you always always at VU Hoops, always working. Um, Road to the Garden on Twitter. I run that Twitter with Matt um, and others, and yeah, you can you can find me pretty much anywhere on the world wide web. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Tommy. We really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thank you guys. All right. Well, I think we, we gushed about Tommy just as much as we could have, but thank you again. We were so excited to have him on. And I am so honestly like proud of the growth he's made and how much of an impact he's made on the Villanova community already. I think people are really enjoying this episode just because Tommy gives such an insight into the behind the scenes. Like we talked about at the beginning, Pat. I hope they're enjoying the episode, yeah. um, but I, I, it was a ton of fun talking with him. He is fantastic. You know, it, you probably are familiar with him if you're involved in Villanova Twitter because he's doing such a great job, you know, putting out updates and covering all these games. But if you are not, make sure you, you follow him on Twitter and, and, you know, give him a read on VU Hoops and give him a listen for the road to the garden because he is just doing great, great work. Totally agree. And I don't feel like we've got enough questions in. Yeah, so I right? think we should finish with some more. I mean, we, we just played 20 questions with Tommy. So let's, let's extend it to like 25 questions with Pat and Emma here, because of course we just asked Tommy a lot of questions. Now it is time for you guys to ask us some questions, how we like to round out all of our Thursday episodes. So we'll start with big tasty. I love this question coming in from him. Most impressive so far relative to expectations, which is very important for this question. 
Mark Armstrong, Cam Whitmore, or Brendan Housen? Yeah, the relative to expectations is a nice disclaimer, but I don't think it changes my answer. (laughs) And I really want to go a different way, but I think it has to be Whitmore. The expectations were the highest for him, but I also think he has exceeded them in a way that Armstrong and Housen haven't. And I have been very impressed by Housen and Armstrong. And I said it on Tuesday, I think Housen has carved a role for himself onto this team other than just being a guy who can hit a big three I think he has become a a true integral part of this team but Cam Whitmore just completely changes the landscape of this offense completely changes the landscape of the defense and changes to use the word a third time in a row but like (laughs) raises the ceiling raises the ceiling and the floor I know you said that before it just makes expectations so much higher for the team in general I'm gonna go a little different I am going to go with Brendan Housen for that for most impressive. And again, the relative to expectations is why I emphasize it at the start, because I think it's so important. I will tell you when I'm right. I will tell you when I'm wrong. If when we go back to our season preview, I mentioned, I wasn't sure where Housen was going to be able to carve out minutes for this team, looking at the backcourt, looking for how I I thought things would really start to develop here. He was the one that struck me as, okay, we've heard that he's a really good three-point shooter in high school basketball, but how are the other parts of his game really going to round into shape that will allow him to play extended minutes for all the things that we know plays into Villanova basketball? Well, he is most certainly carving out a role on this team. Of course, doing so mostly with that three-point shooting, which is absolute sharpshooting. I talked about it on Tuesday. The man is literally shooting 50% from beyond the arc right now, which is incredible. Yes, it's limited attempts uh, as he still hasn't had that many minutes out there, but I think it really goes to the the type of shooter that he is. And then as Emma just talked about defensively, he has made some strides. Uh, He's not a liability to be out there, which I think is really important. So if we're going relative to expectations, and I was so excited for Armstrong and Whitmore, Housen was one I questioned for this year in terms of playing time. And I am seeing him certainly exceed those that I set at the beginning of the year yeah good answer we knew he was going to be good just take it a step farther I was actually standing next to Neptune at media today at media day when he said the quote about harm's arm the uh, famous um, quote now housing being potentially the best shooter that Villanova has ever had and I had to stop myself from scoffing I was like all right come on I think a lot of people did yeah this is where we're starting off yeah exactly and he might live up to that who knows he just might. I, I wouldn't bet against it for what we've seen so far from him. For real. Second question, any way too early guys Novish fans should start to follow that could be a potential transfer target after the season? You can take this one first. Yeah, so I think it's still, as you say here, way too early to be able to to pick out a, a target because we are in December. You know, we have no idea how things are really going to shift and shape out for guys that will enter the portal come the end of the season however it does go to the point that i firmly believe that nova is going to have to hit the transfer portal next Mm -hmm. year with the potential turnover that we are going to see from this team and i i think it's more than i feel they should do it i think they have to do it yeah it doesn't logistically plugging holes they have to yeah so it'll be a different way that Villanova's runs things, but they're also in, in a hole right now where they're going to lose so much better in leadership that they'll need to, to bring some guys in to plug some holes. And remember, while yes, it breaks the norm for Villanova that they don't love to bring transfers in, they do bring transfers in. Eric Pascal, Caleb Daniels, just to think of two very, very recent 
you know, examples of Impact it to Primo guys as too. well. Yeah. yeah, they will do it. And I think there it was more of a luxury at times. This is going to be more of a need yeah. um, uh, in, in terms of what we're seeing. That's a good so way to put it. Don't, uh, don't be surprised if you see them hit it. Yeah. Love this question from John Palme. Uh, we always hear about Villanova basketball. What team in college basketball plays like Villanova? And then this he gave a, us Iowa. Yeah, this was a really good question. I'm I'm kind of curious to hear where you go first because I'm I'm still mulling it over. I had a team that popped into my head right away, but I'm gonna think about it for a few more seconds. Yeah, no, no, think about it. I I mean, when you think of Villanova basketball, you know, it's it's playing tough, it's fundamentally sound, it's being able to to burn you on a three, it's all of those things. For me, a team, especially this year, that I think fits that mold really well, and I'll, I'll stick in the same conference there. I go with Greg Gard's Wisconsin. Um, currently mm. sitting there at, at eight and two. You know, they're a team that uh, under you know the the last couple years ha- have been really fundamentally sound, though at times you know not supremely talented. Though there have been some really good Wisconsin teams out there. They usually don't turn the ball over that often. Um, they're usually pretty solid on D. They're a tough conference opponent for for a very solid conference um, in in the Big Ten. I like Wisconsin, so I think it's hard to find an exact parallel mm-hmm. to Villanova basketball because quote Villanova basketball end quote is really what makes this uh, this school so successful in, in what they've been able to build. But if I had to go with one, Wisconsin was one of the first ones that came to mind. Yeah, that's a good pick. It's also hard because Villanova is so anti star on hmm. the outset that you you don't find that anywhere in college basketball anymore. So there isn't going to be a one-to-one pick. So the first team that popped into my head was actually UNC because I think last year they were able to beat you in so many different ways. And that's one of the biggest things that sticks out to me about Villanova over the years. And then as you were talking, I actually was thinking about Houston too. And the biggest I did difference think of Houston, they did enter my, my thoughts for, for this one too. They're not even in the same hemisphere as Villanova offensively so that's a huge takeaway and Villanova is not in the same hemisphere as Houston defensively defensively. yeah true (laughs) but when I think of fundamentally sound I think of Houston with the rock fights the like 54 52 wins that they're able to eke out in some of those big games down the stretch last year so those are the two that popped into my head there are some big differences but I actually think it's just a compliment we're just talking about all the good things that Villanova does well fundamentally sound good offensively and defensively can cut you in different ways so that's that's a good question i liked a lot i know houston lost alabama i know uconn's the number one team in ken palm houston is still my top team in the country for for really watch them oh yeah they alabama's on the rise too they are that's a good team shout out javon quinterly yeah second choice for a reason um matt berger did said is there any inside news on on justin moore's return we just kind of talked about that a little bit with tommy so matt i hope you enjoyed that Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Filled in perfectly. A question from Tom Zhang. Who sees the least playing time this year? Trey Patterson, Nana Njoku, or Angelo Brizzy? This is a good question. You know how I love questions from Tom Zhang, too. (laughs) Of course. We always do. Because there were different expectations for all three guys. So, I mean, starting from the beginning, we don't have to rehash all of their histories, but Trey Patterson reclassified was expected to be in, if not a starting role this year, then an impact role off the bench. Brizzy had the redshirt year, was seen as more of the development guy under Gillespie. Maybe would take him a little bit longer to contribute, but then he did early on. And then for me, Njoku 
belongs somewhere in the middle where you can see him making strides. He's finally healthy that this year. That's something that got in his way last year. And you can see a role for him in the future without Slater. I think I'm going to pick Njoku for that reason. You've seen Neptune try and give Patterson more chances. We saw Brizzy at the beginning of the season because of uh, roster development ahead of him. We won't see him as much, but I just think Njoku currently is the odd man out just in terms of personnel. Yeah, because the important part of this question is playing time this year. Right. Um, and of that, I also lean Njoku, and I just think the precedent we've seen, he's only played eight minutes total the thus far this season. And I, I think Kyle is showing, you know, in that front court, he feels a lot more comfortable being able to go with a Slater, with a Dixon, you know, Whitmore now able to fill some of those minutes as well. We'll see where Longino goes uh, with it. And and Kyle's playing small a little, a little bit more lately. So I still think of those You'll see Njoku play the least this year. I do not think that is a, a slight for what he could potentially, right. what his role could be in coming years. But for this year, I think Nana is the one you see the least of. I totally agree. Nice. Uh, from Vega, it's not just a couple, so trying to summarize into one. What are your initial expectations for the roster next year? Just understanding a, a lot of change that potentially could happen here. Where do you think they go? Yeah, so first I just want to make, it clear that I'm way too excited about this season to really open my mind to next season <laughs> in terms of transfers and roster holes and that whole thing I think there is still so much more of this year's team to still see before we write it off and start thinking about next year but that being said without Whitmore without Daniels I'm curious who or actually I'll, I'll, I'm curious if Armstrong can transition into a lead guard score because we Dan know Dixon Strady is can. going to take another huge step. You seem already sold on it. I I am. I think the foundation's there for this yeah. team. Uh, and, you know, you, you go with an Armstrong, a Longino, and a Dixon kind of a, as three guys to, to potentially lead the way there. We'll see where some of the other guys develop. Uh, alongside that and we'll see where Villanova adds you know this recruiting class is still very wide open we know Jordan mm-hmm. Dumont is in but I, I expect them to add more there I firmly believe they're going to add in the transfer portal so to to your point uh, I, it's too early for me to really try and get my head around what the 23-24 roster is going to look like but I do think there are foundational pieces there now there are most certainly holes on this roster that are going to need to be filled and I, I'm very curious to see how it happens but I don't think it's fair to say that this roster is going to be completely fair next year uh, right. with, with what they're still going to have returning. Yeah, and another thing quickly, too, is, is positional flexibility. And we actually talked about this a little bit with Tommy, and I meant to follow up on it, and I think the conversation moved in a different direction. But it's the, the post-Germain Samuels effect still, finding somebody to slate into to, to fill that role who just does everything really, really well, the boxing out, the rebounding, et cetera, something that's been – a weakness for Villanova so far when you lose Slater and Daniels you get even weaker in that category so I'm really curious to see who's going to step up physically and be that guy and hopefully become a better rebounding team this year down the stretch and carrying over into next year too absolutely and then we take it home with Jack McCall in the spirit of the holidays what gift or skill would you give a player to help this team grow oh what a question a singular player Yep. Mm. 
Hmm. I, I can give you a couple. Yeah, if, to, if you got one off the top of your head, just, go ahead. I mean, the first one I would do, I would give Justin more my Achilles, um, <laughs> so that so that he could go out there for your for, family wouldn't appreciate that, Pat. That's right. I'm mostly work from home, so I can sit in the chair and you can get me on a train somehow in the center city. Um, I I would. I think, you know, Chris Archdiakono giving him Brendan Housen's three-point shooting ability mm. would uh, would most certainly expand the floor there as a point guard. Uh, and then uh, a third one I would look at, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd turn Jordan Longino into the, like, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Hart skill set. Oh. Uh, Josh Hart skill set, probably the one that would be more closer, you know, physically. Um, and just see the, the monster that he could really turn into as a two-way wing. Yeah, I'd like to just give Caleb the ability to make every single dunk that he drives in for, too. <laughs> He's pretty good anyway, but if he could be one, 100% on those, that'd be pretty pretty freaking cool. Maybe we try and give Eric Dixon's ability to draw lane violations to the rest of the team. So Villanova That's just also a unlimited good free throws. That would be huge. Or just give the entire team a do-over button after the first seven minutes of the game. And we start at the seven-minute mark. Yeah, so when they score four points in the first seven minutes, it's just we wipe the slate clean. Exactly. Yeah. Both teams. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> No, I, I love those questions. Those yeah. are a lot of fun. We we always love answering uh, the listeners' questions. So thank you to everyone for sending them through because they are certainly a blast and we love interacting with you guys. Yeah, so we were so excited about this episode too to do something different, to have Tommy on, recap the non-conference schedule that was, I think, a lot more exciting and noteworthy than a lot of us might have expected, but certainly makes it more fun on our end. The St. Joe's game is this upcoming Saturday, so we will have an episode on Tuesday, recapping that. And then it's Big East play. It, I, I'm Almost still here. pinching myself. I still can't believe it. You mentioned, Pat, when this episode drops, it will be less than a week until Big East play. So one more game to go. Definitely can't completely gloss over it, but super excited about the future for this team. Yeah, we are so close to to seeing that that Big East play really go into it. And it, listen, even on Friday, this episode drops on Thursday, you got Creighton Marquette yeah. on, on Friday night. Xavier Georgetown's a little earlier in the day, but conference play really does start up this weekend providence seton hall uh is another one uh to look forward to so we are starting to get into it i know st john's kind of had the weird one-off with DePaul just so much earlier than, than everyone else but it's that time we we've talked about it we've referenced it uh it has finally come upon us biggie's play for villanova starts up next week and we couldn't be more excited so excited wow Absolutely. So that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. First, again, want to shout out Tommy for just thank you so much for for his time on here. We had an absolute blast interviewing him. Please go check him out on Twitter and listen to the Road to the Garden pod, uh, as well as check out his content on VU Hoops because he truly is a stud. Speaking of VU Hoops, make sure you're on that website, vuhoops.com, to see all the Wildcat content all season long. Follow us on Twitter at SONNPod, as well as Spotify. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Nova Nation, I hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We will be back at it on Tuesday. Nova Nation, that's a wrap.